Hi, John Wells here, talking with William Wolfe Wiley as part of the Accelerating Open Canada program. William is well known to many of you for his work as a journalist and team leader with news site Canada.com. He has a passion for the development of interactive storytelling and in particular open government and citizen participation. Welcome, William. Welcome. Thank you. William, uh, today I'm wanting to ask you a big, broad question. What's the state of open government in Canada? But before I do that, it begs two challenging underlying questions. What is it and how do we measure it? Some people see open government as open data. Some people see it as being about deeper citizen engagement. Others as... uh, as more conventional FOI, a freedom of information uh, related uh, issues and things. How do you define what open government means? I define open government as the, the default publication of all material that a government collects rather than default secrecy, the default participation rather than the default casual disregard. Uh, and that comes both from government and from citizens. To me, open government is an open door where people who are interested in certain civic issues feel like they not only have a voice, but have the resources available to be educated about that issue and have the resources available to speak to government, to speak to their neighbors about that issue. And depending on where you look, the situation with that ideal is measurably better or worse. Uh, at the municipal level in Canada, it's actually doing fairly well. Municipal governments, which collect all kinds of data from crime to property taxes to uh, individual revenue up to uh, um, you know, commercial areas and construction projects and traffic, municipal governments are jumping on the open data bandwagon and the open government bandwagon in a really big way. Uh, the city of Vancouver is really leading the charge. They have one of the most robust open data sets uh, with a mayor and a city council who are really embracing the ideals of open government and taking a number of steps to making as much available as they can, both in raw data and in resources. Uh, you'll see cities like Edmonton and Calgary, which are doing similar things. Uh, the city of Montreal, which is re- unfortunately reeling from a corruption scandal, which is only now going through the public courts process, is uh, taking the unfortunate results of that scandal and then turning around and trying to make it their government as public and open as they can to show that they can be trusted by their citizens. Uh, so at the municipal level, you're seeing a lot of really good things. And it's not only in the big cities, but it's even in some of the medium cities and even some of the smaller towns where uh, with what little resources are available, they're scraping together enough to really open the doors of City Hall. At the provincial level, uh, where in Canada you have the provinces are responsible for some of the big portfolios like education and healthcare, um, there's m- mixed, more mixed results. Uh, In the province of British Columbia on the West Coast, they were the first to really institute a province-wide open government policy and the first to launch a provincial open data site. Uh, The province of Quebec, our only French-language-speaking province, um, on the East Coast, they were the second to follow suit. And Ontario, which is the most populous province, followed in third after that. All of this within the last two years. Um, So it's a fairly recent development on that front. And they're the only three of ten who have really started started to take this seriously. Uh, and at the federal level, it's they've had an open data site for the past 
three years, but it's very limited. It's very curated. And while there are ministries who purport to subscribe to open government, this government, at uh, the federal level at least, has been noted by their unwillingness to respond to freedom of information requests, their unwillingness to be criticized, and their unwillingness to answer even basic questions. The federal police force even announced uh, through an interview or last summer that they simply don't respond to freedom of information requests anymore. They all go straight wow. into the recycle bin. Wow. So it, it's a it's a really mixed bag, depending on which level of government you're looking at and where in the country you're looking. Mm-hmm. So, what's the dynamic at work here, uh, William? Um, uh, it, you're saying that closer to the ground, as it were, um, there's a you know a greater willingness at city hall level. Is it the greater political pressure uh, at a federal level? I mean, why why is open government? Uh, resonating more uh, at municipal level, do you feel? I think part of it is that it's simply easier uh, to change a a small town or even a medium-sized city. There's less that you have to change. There's fewer Mm -hmm. minds that you have to convince. Mm -hmm. Um, And one really powerful person with a great PowerPoint presentation can do a lot more at the city (laughs) level than they can at the federal level. Uh, and honestly, there's also more resources available. Um, things like what Richard Pietro's team with Citizen Bridge was doing, uh, there's more and more out there like that. They're providing out-of-the-box packages for municipal governments to create open data sites, to open their books, to open their construction plans. Mm. So there's organizations like Google, which yep. are also approaching at the municipal level to get uh, traffic information, to get transit information, uh, to get traffic cameras, all according to a universal standard, which makes it very easy to share and very easy to index, no matter where you happen to be. And when you have that kind of resource available to you, it's very difficult to say no instead of at the provincial or federal level where it's often meaning taking that that information, making sure it's abiding by federal secrecy laws, making sure it's abiding by federal privacy laws, then searching for an appropriate publication platform, searching for the resources to host it and develop it. And it becomes partly a question of finance and partly a question of effort and then a question of political will to actually pull it all together. Hmm. So it's interesting that Google is uh, an example of a private sector player that's having an impact that in another time and place federal government could have had. It is. And it's interesting because Google is what nobody would define as open data because you cannot ask Google for their information. They just won't reply (laughs) to you. But they are making it accessible. Mm. They're mapping the world in a way that is not just providing images of Street View, but they're providing maps of the world in ways that computers can understand. And it's a pretty stark shift when you can just type in Toronto restaurants and come up with reviews, images of the front door, menus, make a reservation. All this kind of interconnectivity is being offered by an internet culture, which private companies have largely promoted. Mm. So the issue of evaluating, assessing open government, uh, we talked about measuring briefly there. Um, what are the criteria that measures a nation's evolution towards more open government, do you feel? That's enormous. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of it, I think, is the number of files that are open by default and how frequently they're updated. Yeah. Um, 
if you look at some of the things uh, at the city of Toronto where I live, there's one of the main files that they update once a week is the um, municipal restaurant inspection index. Mm -hmm. So every single restaurant in the city is inspected and every single report and every single infraction and every single fine for every restaurant that's inspected is made available on the city website one, every updated every Thursday. And there are news organizations who make it their bread and butter that every Thursday they put up, pull up an interactive map of where the red flag restaurants in the city are th this week. Mm. And so when you have stuff like that, it demonstrates that with the political will and with the right resources, you can make a important file, which is a public health concern in this case, a regular update, a regular part of the publication, and a regular part of a, a government's workflow. And I think when we start We'll see, start to define success when we see that uh, routine publication and routine expectation applied not only to restaurant health inspections, but to a federal health care system. Hmm. What are the wait times for must-have surgeries? What are the wait times at the emergency level? What are the core um, health components like smoking levels? What are the cancer rates? What are the heart disease rates? What can, are people doing that is affecting their li lives this year? It's the kind of thing that we collect, but we don't share. Mm. And when we have to ask questions about why aren't you sharing this information, oh, well, it's difficult. It's difficult is no longer the appropriate excuse. It's difficult is just you don't care enough to do it. And I think once we stop saying it's too difficult and start looking at, oh, you're right, we should be doing that, let's go figure it out together, mm. when that's the default response, then we can start to measure success. Until we start keep having the conversation of how difficult it is, then we're not there yet. Mm. So, um, you know, you cite some really interesting examples of, of what all this can mean for uh, the average citizen. What do you see from your perspective um, as some of the exciting trends for open government in Canada at the moment? I'm seeing a lot of activity at the sub-municipal level. Neighborhood organizations are experiencing a really interesting revival right now. As people have become really focused on their cities and their municipalities, they've become really focused on their neighborhood level down to the intersection. And we've seen a revival of um, business improvement areas. They're organized just between small groups of restaurants and store owners. Uh, we've seen... Uh, uh, neighborhood improvement areas where just residents, local police officers who live in the area, construction workers who live in the area, business owners will all get together and say, you know, this is what is concerning us about our neighborhood. Hmm. We need a cleaner park. Uh, the water in my bathtub runs brown once a week, and I don't know why. Can we figure that out? Hmm. Uh, we need a crosswalk at this intersection. And there's, they're using a lot of the open government techniques to basically move back and forth between those small municipal organizations that can consist of as few as a dozen people and work with their city councilor and then work with city hall and then work with the provincial government to do things like change speed limits, input, uh, throw in crosswalks, get regulations changed for garbage pickup. Uh, they've had a lot of success in that regard. Um, in my neighborhood right now, there's a group called Ward 30 Bicycles. And it's about two dozen people, and their only goal 
is within this small ward represented by a single city councillor to change the way the city treats cycling infrastructure. They want more bike lanes and they want designated uh, signal phasing uh, on the main roads and they want uh, the ability for cyclists to be able to go up and down one-way streets in the wrong direction. Uh, so basically they're working to change municipal bylaws and infrastructure development for this tiny little section of about six square city blocks. And we're seeing a big development across the whole country at that the really small organizational level. At that uh, micro-community level, yeah. But so, William, do you feel though that this is one of the uh, uh, blockages perhaps around open government? Do you feel that open information leads citizens to know there's more that can be done, therefore putting more pressure on government to do more, so government just sees there being a, a more of a demand? Or is it, or do you see that there's a matching response from citizens to say, well, there's more that can be done and more that needs to be done? we'll start to step in as well. Are we shifting how we do public service delivery as a result of openness? Yes. Um, and there's about four different examples that I want to cite in yeah. response to that. Okay. Because I think it all comes down to a matter of perspective. Uh, there are some city councillors that I've dealt with who are not receptive to the open government model, who believe that it's a top-down, that they are elected officials, that they were elected to make decisions, so they should be left alone to make decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, one of these city councillors um, at a deputation I was giving on open data to the City of Toronto asked me if it was possible to make money off of open data by selling the data back to users, hmm. which goes against everything that open government means. This should be hmm. the free flow of information since taxpayers already paid for the creation of this information, why should they be paying again to read it? Mm. Um, and this was an idea that he could not get through his head. It was, to him, was a government issue. But on the other side, um, we've recently seen uh, another government worker, also in Toronto, who, dealing with uh, the rise of cycling as a legitimate form of commuting and transportation, mm -hmm. as opposed to public transit or automobiles, decided that we need a huge influx of data to figure out where cycling infrastructure needs to go. And it can't just be a survey, or it can't just be traffic tickers counting the number of cyclists on certain streets. Mm. So they actually, just this week, launched a new smartphone application, and they're asking everyone in the city who cycles to load the smartphone application and start tracking their rides with GPS. Uh -huh. And right. so they're getting thousands upon thousands of personalized data points of where cyclists are going, what shortcuts they're taking, what roads they're avoiding because they're too dangerous, what roads they're conglomerating on, and it's providing an enormous influx mm. of data that which is then going to influence city hall decision-making. Wow. And one of the reasons this actually came about is um, this past winter was particularly harsh in Canada and we set snowfall records in much of the country. And there are a number of cyclists who continued to cycle through that weather and were complaining the city was not doing enough to keep the sides of the streets where cyclists mm -hmm. are usually riding clear of snow and ice. And so they had a widely publicized shovel-in where about three dozen cyclists got together on a main thoroughfare and started shoveling clear the with the bike lane. And that caught the attention of City Hall. And, all, and now for the following winter, the winter of 2014-2015, uh, it's actually a policy that there are going to be priority cycling routes which will be cleared. Mm. So 
in terms of whether this prevents presents more work for government yes it absolutely does but the added community engagement and the added information that is being made available through it also presents the opportunity to, pr to prioritize that work mm. in ways that wasn't possible before mm. so now the ontario government is uh actually has surveys on their open data website that says okay here's everything that we think we have right now it's about uh, about a thousand data sets um, 200 of which are currently open but they have all thousand listed of them and they're allowing you to vote on which ones you think should be opened next and that's serving to prioritize their open government um, system so they'll be able to release the high profile high demand pieces of open data first and thus avoid disappointing too many people when they release the one that nobody wants. Huh. Excellent examples. So so through all of that, what, what would you say are currently the the main challenges facing uh, open government? Is it is it political will? Is it uh, what would you say are the main challenges in Canada? Political will is definitely high on the list. Uh, open data and open government requires a shift in how you envision the role of government, mm -hmm. not as a top-down structure, but as a community organization which takes in advice and doles out services um, the way any small community organization would. And that kind of transformative shift is very difficult for people to to pick up on, as we're seeing with much of the media industry right now, especially in the print media industry. A seismic shift in how you c comprehend your role is very difficult for especially large organizations to undertake, mm. uh, which is why I think we're seeing those changes happen fastest at the smaller government level. Uh, the other side of it is technological. Uh, we're, we're not at a place right now where municipal, provincial, or federal government is an attractive place for really smart technologists to find their careers. Uh, they're going off into startups. They're going off into uh, the, the really high-profile tech sectors. They're starting their own companies and websites. It's You don't hear very often from the smart technology schools, I really want to go work in government and change the way we interact with each other. Hmm. They're saying, I want to go work at Google and Facebook and mm -hmm. change the way we interact with each other. So I think as the, the, the political will shifts, we also need to change how those services are run so that we can, as, as Richard is saying in his tour, uh, we need to make sure that we're making government services an evolutionary product so we can have service 1.0 and 2.0 and iterate them and learn from them rather than spending 10 years working on a theory and then rolling out one service mm. and expecting that service to last for 20 years. Mm. We don't live in that world anymore and we need to stop running government as if we do. Yeah, true. So, so how do you see Canada meeting some of these challenges? I mean, you were talking about uh, uh, the technologists' uh, kind of environment, you know, the, the professional environment. Is that there needs to be something like? I'm not necessarily necessarily advocating this, but something like a, a code for Canada. Is there such an initiative, by the way? There are several such initiatives, actually. It's been really interesting to, to watch it evolve. Um, and different open data organizations in um, 
Toronto, Vancouver, Edmonton, Montreal. There's a number of the municipal ones which have gotten together and created a, uh, an alliance of open data programs for Canadian cities. And it's been amazing to watch them work together and try and, try and solve common problems and help each other out. And that's been a great piece which has been led not by the political side of these cities, but by the bureaucratic side who are trying to solve common problems. So sorry, that alliance, is that civic hackers, as it were, or is it people within the public sector? It's people within the public sector. Oh, okay. uh, so these people have largely been tasked with an open government type of job or launching an open data site mm-hmm. and realize that they had largely been asked to form these kinds of departments all around the same time period as this started to become popular. And so they started reaching out to each other before forming an actual alliance with each other to share resources. Okay. So if we were able to get that beyond just the municipal level and actually start to embed that as part of the political side of things, at not only the municipal level, but at the provincial level and at the federal level, and so we could start to share these kinds of open government mm. resources and mm. best practices mm. and tools then I think that would go a long way to just embedding the idea of openness and interactivity uh, into what people expect of their government and then through the election processes, who actually starts representing them. Hmm. So what are some other ways that you'd see Canada uh, meeting some of these open government challenges? There are some senior ministers in the government who do see the value in it, who are very active in those spaces, who are hosting... um, events and consultations with people who are active in the open government and open data spaces. Um, in Canada, it was it's the industry minister who is very active in that space. But having one senior minister, it feels like you have a really strong voice in government when you get to sit in the room with them and say, listen, this is a really big problem. And they nod and they agree and they itemize how they, this is hurting government. And then they go back to the capital and they sit in their chair in the House of Commons, and you see that they're one voice in 300. Yeah. And it it, it starts to feel almost like, well, we, we had one guy, <laughs> but then you realize he's also still only one guy. Hmm. Um, honestly, it, I think it really is a cultural change away from the culture of secrecy, which has taken over a lot of Western governments right now, especially Canada, the United States, and Great Britain. We're seeing stuff like the Edward Snowden revelations about what kind of spying is going on and surveillance is going on is not limited to the United States, but happens in Great Britain, it happens in Canada, and we need to be more politically active against that kind of activity and for more kinds of government for the people kind of activity, which... Mm. If you say too loudly in some circles, we'll get you branded a communist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So in a few months, uh, Richard Pietro is going to be uh, riding his motorbike across Canada as part of the uh, Open Government Tour 2014, visiting 18 cities. How would you see Richard's bike tour uh, making a a lasting contribution to this debate? I'm really excited to see how his tour pans out. Um, I was at a launch event of his in Toronto just a couple of weeks ago where mm-hmm. he held a little fireside chat with uh, some some interested people who were talking about open government and open data. Some of them were technologists. Some of them were young people who were running in the upcoming municipal election in Toronto. Some of them were uh, just students who were taking government-based classes and public policy classes and trying to figure out what this all means for the upcoming role of government. And it was incredible to bring those 
people together and he has this ability to speak to everyone on their level regardless of their background mm. to make them feel comfortable in a space to admit that they don't know what they might be talking about to admit that they have questions and to understand as well where other people have expertise and to invite them into the conversation to answer those questions in that sense he very much is like a canvas upon which everyone else can start to build their own picture of open government and I guess about a month ago I wrote a story about that experience of watching him hold these sessions and almost immediately he was contacted by someone on the other side of the country who said who owns and operates a bed and breakfast and she wrote to him and said, I'm really excited about what you're doing. When you come by here, don't you dare sleep in a tent. You have a room here whenever you need it. <laughs> so I think he's he has that ability. Yeah. That he's very soft-spoken. He's very energized. And he's very excited about open government and the what civic engagement can do mm -hmm. with people. That I think when he starts to host these communities, I think it will build buzz. And if one person at each of these events goes and forms a neighborhood organization or a business improvement area or starts to bring people together to talk about how their neighborhoods mm -hmm. and communities can improve, then he'll have done more than his job. He'll have done more than most of us do to improve our, our countries. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> so, so, William, from uh, from what you know about this, this arena uh, in Canada, thinking about 18 cities getting together to hear about this story and, and hear Richard but also to hear from each other why this is important... What sorts of people or organizations do you feel would get value from being in those rooms, participating in those events? I don't think there's anyone who wouldn't get value from it. Mm -hmm. uh, small businesses would get value in it just by helping to understand the community that they operate in. Um, law enforcement would get value from it just by understanding who's around them and what their concerns are and what resources might be available to them local governments would absolutely get value from it from seeing what other people are doing in, in that space and what resources and tools might be available for them to open up their doors a little bit more um, average citizens who you know get up and go to work and come home and feed the kids uh, would certainly get value of it by just by seeing how little work it is to get involved in their communities and start showing some of that passion that they have for their neighborhoods and that you can distribute the work and be very effective at it. I think, it, and even big businesses would start to realize that when governments are open, so is all the information they collect. But when big businesses, like, you know, you take Coca-Cola as an example, why are they spending millions of dollars on their own uh water sampling and well drilling and their own uh, market research and their own surveys if all this information has already been collected by government and they just have to get an open data policy through mm. to see it uh, this is all it does is make everyone more efficient mm. and so the more people that hear the message is uh, the more people who can put pressure on making these changes happen as you said earlier the uh the power and the influence of one person with a PowerPoint. Exactly. So Richard's Tour is going to be mobilizing uh, a wide range of thought leaders and civic uh, innovators and city administrators uh, and others. Uh, so we we look forward to bringing those kinds of people together uh, across Canada. Let me ask you a, a general question. What, what are you most optimistic about? I'm most optimistic that he can start to bring more people into the fold who hadn't thought about it before. When I look at 
there are currently five cities in that alliance of open data and open government alliances. Mm -hmm. What if instead of five big cities, it became an open alliance of 25 medium-sized cities? And what if it just became, you know, businesses started getting involved and mm -hmm. it became a community unto itself? I think when he starts to spread that message to smaller governments that wouldn't necessarily be involved otherwise, then he can have a really big impact uh, just by spreading that message. And one of the things that we see frequently in Canada is that uh, politicians tend to graduate up from municipal to provincial to federal politics. Uh, they tend to start young and decide on this is their career path, and they start moving up the ladder. If we can get some of those politicians who are ready to move up the ladder at the municipal level through some of these talks, and then they go up and they start looking around at their next provincial government job and say, hey, you know, shouldn't we be contacting the open data people about this project we're working on? Mm. It seems like this could have some good public input impact if we just let it have public impact. And if they start to ask those questions in those meetings because it's the default emotion that they feel when they see this kind of information, then that can be one of the most important conversations that we have. Mm. Well, William, uh, I've really enjoyed talking with you. I, I enjoy your enthusiasm. Uh, that's all, all we have time for now. Right. Well, thank you very much for calling. Well, thanks uh, for sharing your experience and your, your perspective. We've been talking with uh, William Wolfe Wiley, uh, supporting the Canadian Open Government Tour. Uh, for our listeners, there are ways that people listening can get on board and support Richard's amazing bike tour across Canada for open government. Uh, don't forget to check uh, the website for ways you can get involved, as well as more interviews about open government in Canada uh, and around the world. It will include a link to William's story uh, about Richard, as well as the Alliance of Public Sector Organisations around open government. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.